0: might sound a little dramatic but in this world choosing authenticity and worthiness is an absolute act of resistance. Choosing to live and love with our whole hearts is an act of defiance. You're going to confuse, piss off and terrify lots of people including yourself. One minute you'll pray that the transformation stops and the next minute you'll pray that it never ends. You'll also wonder How can you feel so brave and so afraid at the same time? Remember Joseph Campbell's wisdom. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Own the fear, find the cave, and write a new ending for yourself, for the people you are meant to serve and support, and for your culture. Choose courage over comfort. Choose whole hearts over armor and choose the great adventure of being brave and afraid, at the exact same time. This is an extract from Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. Hello everyone, this is Ramona Peyu, I'm a holistic coach and an advanced social practitioner I'm here bringing you this podcast mini series entitled Fear, Impress or Overcome It, and What Waits for Us on the Other Side. My guest speaker today is Saj De Silva. Saj is a former Budokan Karate Doe, England International, English United Karate Federation, England Karate Coach, Chief Instructor of North Kent Martial Arts, and the Director of Silva Balance Academy. He has a fifth dan in karate and a fifth dan in kickboxing. Sash has traveled the world as a coach and competitor, representing England at various levels in all disciplines, producing multiple world and European medalists and champions. His dojos in North Kent are amongst the most successful and popular martial arts clubs. He is offering not just martial arts classes, but also massage treatments, meditation advice, and nutrition coaching. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Sarge. Enjoy. Hi Sarge, lovely to have you here today.
1: Lovely to be here.
0: Thank you so much for accepting this invitation. It's a great honor to to ha- hopefully have a wonderful conversation with yourself. Um, oh,
1: that's our- no problem.
0: Wonderful. Our listeners um, heard about um, who you are in terms of your role and status in this society. Uh, what I'm interested in now is to find out who Saj is outside of those roles and social expectations.
1: Um, I guess that's quite like an open question, so I thought I'll talk a little bit about maybe how my wife describes me a little bit and then sort of how I see myself. Oh. Um, I think like um, in my role as, as, a, as a leader of, of, of the people that I um, teach every single week, I think the reason that I'm effective is because I'm quite authentic um, and my wife always says these sorts of things about me. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve and people I think can trust me at, trust my opinions for that reason they know that I'm not trying to sugarcoat or make anything easier for them Um, I think they also know that I haven't had it easy I've worked really really hard um, and achieved everything really that I wanted to achieve but I've done it the hard way um, growing up with very little as a kid um, we came from like a working class background my I had a single um, a single parent my mum had there were three of us and my mum had to work sort of like two or three jobs to to, to make ends meet and something like my martial arts became even more important to me because I had very little. Um, I think as a result of my martial arts training, I've turned into somebody who's very focused and disciplined. So um, I guess I hope that the, the podcast helps people who are struggling with these aspects of their, of their lives because I think focus and discipline, persistence, these are sorts of things that martial arts train you. Um, and unless you've been sort of exposed to those things regularly as a kid, people tend to find those things not a natural response to something like fear, which is what we're, we're here to talk about today. Um, I think that for me, the main aspects of my personality are, are leadership. I, I think I see myself, I've been told this quite a few times, as a that I'm, I'm a leader, so I guess there must be some truth to it. But I think as a leader, I like to be tough but fair and i would never expect anyone to sort of do any i would i would never expect anyone to do anything that i wouldn't do personally and i tried to lead by example in that in that respect so i guess that kind of explains me a little bit um yeah
0: wonderful yeah it's 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 a very similar experience with mine i the, the power of discipline and growing up and having it tough in the beginning and then finding yourself through all the hardship that uh, this life gives to you. And it's, sometimes it's it's tough, because it gives to you at, at a very fragile age. So finding that discipline uh, and finding the path uh, in your life, I think it's so, so tremendously important.
1: Yeah, definitely, I agree. I think that if I didn't find martial arts at a young age, I would have been quite a different person. And I know this because myself and my sisters were all close, but we're all so very different. And I think the thing that separates me from my sisters is that military sort of background that that martial arts exposes you to. And I kind of embraced that and enjoyed that from a young age. And I think I did that because I realized really quickly that life is really, really scary. And when you don't have any control over what's happening around you, it can become even more scary. And I think the way to get some sort of control on your life. And I know that you, it's not good to control everything, but I think you need to try and have some control. And I think the ways that I've done that throughout my childhood and into adulthood is by using things like discipline and, and commitment and persistence that I found um, maybe maybe helped me to approach fears as challenges rather than um, an average person I see them see people sort of not even approaching their fears because they're so worried about things like failure whereas I don't really worry too much about that because in, in during your martial arts training you're, you're, you're kind of like conditioned to failing and failing is a part of, of growth so um, and you're taught that from by a good if you've got a good teacher from, from quite a young age.
0: So today we're going to talk about fear if we are to make it personal to you. Um, would you be willing to share your current or past fears that has stayed with you and has taught you whatever
1: yeah so I mean I guess in terms of fears every human being has them Um, I just think that the difference between maybe myself and someone who falls in the, the feet of their fears is maybe I process fears a little bit differently I think I mean, even doing something like this podcast, I've never done anything like this before, but I felt excited by it. And I think a lot of people would, would not probably even take on doing something like this because they would be too worried about maybe being inadequate and not doing a good enough job. But I think that for, for me, um, my main fears at the moment, and there are so many fears that we carry throughout our life, but at the moment currently is obviously with everything that's happening with the lockdown. Um, I'm a very social person, so to have all of those things taken away from me, it's it's really really difficult. But I think that I'm just at the moment trying to give myself some structure and uh, to my weeks, trying to take each week as it comes. Um, I think I think the main fear that I feel at the moment is losing my business. That's definitely leg- a legitimate fear for any small business owner. I think at the moment, um, or. If you've just started a business i mean you're in it, it, it it's very difficult even with the government's help in m- most countries around the world everybody's having to sort of take a back seat and i've had to see my business shrink enormously in the last sort of eight or nine months and that's that's obviously quite a quite a scary thing but i think for me the way i look at it is that even though the business is shrinking and um financially that obviously impacts me but largely that impacts mainly My sense of self because the my businesses are my like for most people, my businesses are my identity. So when your business is um under attack in any way, you feel like your identity is also under attack. And I think that's really difficult to approach for for many, many people at the moment. I mean, how many people in the country are in the world who are self employed? If you if you unless you're a multi billionaire or a millionaire, you're going to be struggling at the moment significantly with many, many fears. But yeah, I guess the fear of losing my business and the fear of losing part of my identity, that's been something I had to battle with definitely through like 2020.
0: Mention that you take each day as it comes. What other ways have you employed in, in, in responding to the fears that you're currently feeling? I think
1: lots of communication with, open communication with those that I love. Like I speak to my wife about how I feel all the time. I think that's really really critical to dealing with fears because sometimes you don't even recognize that how you're feeling until you discuss it with somebody and i think i caught on a little bit of sort of mental health issues during the during the lockdown first lockdown i had had some sort of depression where i was feeling really low about everything that was happening with the with my clubs when they were just about to start really taking off and i was just about to look to bring on a full-time employee for the first time and stuff like that, and that's had to be taken a back seat. Um, I would say, yeah, communication is really, really important. I think one of the most important things that I've learned as I'm starting to feel better in myself recently is that feeling feeling low is okay. Um, And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of the students, actually surprisingly, not maybe unsurprisingly, a lot of the male students, the parents asked me to discuss uh, talk to them because they were feeling really low. And I, when I talked to them, I think I didn't try and force them to feel a certain way. I just had to sort of hold space for them and just listen to them. And I think as they talked to me more and they realized that we're all feeling in a similar way, they began to feel better. I think that's important too, like talking to people makes you realize that there's other people feeling the similar way to you too. So um, yeah, open communication with those around you. Uh, those that you love and trust i think that's really really key and i've been doing that regularly and just reminding myself that being vulnerable and being down and feeling low and um suffering at the moment is is okay and it's, it's i think it's a strength to be able to admit that you have suffered um because i think especially from a male perspective if you look at men's mental health and suicide rates over the last sort of few decades they've been quite terrifying and um I think a lot of that stems from men really being placed and young boys being placed in positions where they're not supposed to feel vulnerable or they're not supposed to be suffering and I think that's something that I've personally been really trying to help a lot of the male students and the female students in our, in our clubs recognize that actually saying that you need help is a strength and not a weakness
0: beautiful to hear you say that because you mentioned about the business but at the same time they, there is this collateral beauty in all this suffering that is going on that, that that may be described through your support and even though it's something that you do spontaneously but it's like a support group that's going on there where, where you are available for others because you understand what's going on for you or on a mental health level. Um, And as you said, there are so many out there who may be feeling exactly the same, more or less. And it's so important, especially with with, with men, um, to, to normalize the fact that everybody suffers, no matter the gender, no matter the background, when it's this collective hardship that's happening at this point in time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think collective support is really critical. I think that's the most important thing about saying that you need help because you actually then receive help. And I think that's probably the main problem with um, men of our my generation, is that the, the women's rights movement was so powerful and so amazing and so strong for so many years that I think a lot of men suffered and they didn't, expl- they didn't really have a voice in terms of... They didn't really have ears to listen, I think. And it wasn't a purposeful thing on anyone's behalf. It was just the fact that we were concentrating on one element of... Um, making sure that we had gender equality in the world, which is of course what we should have. But I think as a result, like millennial men and men born in sort of like 70s, 80s, we didn't really have people to listen to us. We didn't really have outreach and support for men for, for, for men with mental health issues. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons why the suicide rates are so high. But I think they will come down. I think they will come down as more and more men have support from, brilliant organizations like the nhs which supply better support for men in recent years but certainly there's still a huge difference in how much funding each um each part of the country has to to help men with mental health issues but that's why i really try and help the uh, not not just the boys the girls as well at the club that i try and give them as much support as possible i actually had um i had my my best friend committed suicide about five years ago um one of, one of my best friends, and um, someone that I know my whole life, and I think that was like a realization for me that I think it's a realization for me that that I felt guilty for such a long time because I felt I could have given him more support. So maybe that's where, why I'm doing what I'm doing now to to make sure that I don't feel that way again. Um, I know that it wasn't my responsibility, but I guess guilt is perfectly normal human reaction when when you lose somebody that close you'll feel some sort of some negative impact
0: I'm, I'm
1: really to a, as a result I, I suffered for anxiety for a few years so um, I understand mental health from a personal perspective I know how to d- hand I know I know methods that you can put in place to handle mental health issues of um, I've taken on board lots of stuff like I've changed my I've changed my diet. Diet has a lot to do with men- mental health issues, chemical balances, and things like that that are controlled by the by the things that you eat and drink, um, exercise, regular sleeping, uh, meditation, things like that. Even things like massage therapy. I've got into that in the last five years. That makes a huge difference to my anxiety levels. So yeah, there's there's lots of things to explore there, but. The network that we have at the club is really strong for sure
0: and they must
1: be very proud to have you from what you're telling me
0: sorry ramona i was saying that they must be very proud to have you
1: oh that's nice i hope so i i get a lot of positivity from the clubs you know I, i think that's why when when the clubs are under i guess under attack from the 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 lockdown i guess that's probably why I felt so low during that time because the clubs are really something that I love to do and they really pick me up when I need it. And I didn't have that aspect anymore, but I took real pride in in being there for people. You're right, 100%. And I had a lot of really lovely cards and emails and text messages from people saying how much I helped. So that filled me with a lot of pride.
0: Talking about fear, Sarge, um If I were to ask you to describe or define what this is to you, based on your experiences, what would you say?
1: Okay, so um, I guess I guess I, I could to, to answer that really accurately. I would have to go back to when I was younger, um, and I received quite a lot of. Um, abuse of different kinds, but mainly racial abuse at primary school when I was only sort of like seven or eight years old. And I guess from that moment, I realised that people didn't really like the colour of my skin, it's particularly from a majority white area in southeast. Um, and they didn't, definitely didn't like it when I was good at things, when I was doing well at school and stuff like that. So I kind of like I had a had a fear of, I had a fear of. Um, surpassing people. And as a result, I kind of like kept myself um, behind the radar. I think I always had quite a lot of talent and things to offer when I was a kid, as lots of lots of people do. But I think the racial abuse that I experienced, it kind of conditioned me. And I guess that's what all kinds of abuse is to do is to control you, to make you feel less than you are, and then you behave in those ways as a result. And it took me a long time um, to, to sort of unravel that trauma that i experienced but i think as a result fear for me and the most fear that i felt has been yeah like trying to operate below my levels to try and make sure that other people don't feel like they're inadequate around me and then i think i feared a lot as as a kid and teenage years even to my early 20s i feared um i held back a lot of my self-expression in public and even my teachers used to say to my mum, Saj needs to speak up more and needs to ask more questions. And I stopped really communicating on a level where I would be in a public sphere like I do now, which is, I think a lot, when I tell people that I'm naturally shy and naturally introverted, people don't really believe me. They just think I'm naturally confident. I've always been like this, but actually being confident and being outspoken and stuff like I am now is something that I've learned to do um, as I've, sort of untangled the trauma of my childhood and stuff. I think I've dealt with that fear of being, uh, expressing myself, communicating and questioning. I've dealt with those fears. Now I overcome them and I'm definitely someone that tries to help others to do those things. So when I see someone who maybe was a little bit like me in school, I really try and, uh, when I was younger, I really try and now push them to openly express themselves perform in front of other people and it's obviously it's a a long-term project when you do that when you're taking someone who's had their self-esteem and confidence and self-worth dismantled in some way and you can see that because they're so withdrawn it takes a lot of time to rebuild that person Um, but I think because I had those fears in life it makes me a much better coach so I don't really regret any of those things I think they were really important to me being, like I say, like a a much, much better coach. I think if I hadn't experienced those things, I wouldn't be able to empathize with people. And I probably wouldn't believe that you can be someone who's really, really shy and introverted and fearful, and then grow into somebody who becomes someone who's extremely assertive and confident. It
0: sounds as if you are a sensei with a mission yeah for sure
1: i really want to make a difference That's i think that's one of my main main missions in life i want to feel like i've made a difference and i think i've done that but i want to continue to do that as i become better at what i do because i'm still 38 and i've got a long way to go um before i can call myself wise or successful i think that wisdom will come you know in the future maybe and i, I still see there's a lot more growth for me and i, I just love learning and and um, waking up every morning looking forward to seeing what there is to to to, to, to figure out I, li- I like problem solving and yeah i think that's why the job is perfect for me really i like just a um i like each day to feel like i've accomplished something i think after i've done this podcast i feel very accomplished
0: oh, thank you um <laughs> uh, do you think that the fears that you have experienced throughout your life has have helped or hindered your transformational
1: journey 100% I think at the time when they happen they hinder you they don't help you at all Um, they can suffocate you and they can turn you like I mentioned into someone who you're not they can um, make you become introverted they can make you become less expressive they can make you sink into mediocrity but I think that after a certain amount of time as you have time to heal time to think about what happened you can use those fears to to propel your life to another level um i think that there are certain obstacles that that you have to come up against when these fears happen and i think those obstacles become easier to climb as you as you sort of like spend more time healing from them um i've got a quote one of my favorite quotes actually I wanted to recite, that's okay. And then I wanted to sort of talk about what that meant, what the mm-hmm. quote means to me, because I think that I'll, I'll be able to answer your question a lot better that way. So basically this is a, it's quite a long quote. It's a, sort of like 15 seconds long to read. It's about, uh, it's It's from a lady called Marianne Williamson, who um, was, is a famous author in America, best-selling author in America. Um, she was, Um, uh, This quote was actually, I I first heard it when I watched the film Coach Carter. I'm not sure if you've seen that. It's an inspirational film with Samuel Jackson. And one of his students in it recites this quote. So I'll just start off. It says, um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. Your playing small does not save the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we are unconscious—we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So I think that's like a really beautiful way of wording how I see my role. Um, because I think my job is to identify what people's deepest fears are, and then make them feel adequate enough so that they can um, tackle them, overcome them, make them, and make them eventually their learning pro- learning curves, so that they end up seeing fears as um, they end up seeing seeing fears as stepping stones to excellence. So I think that's what that means when it says. Um, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I think that's also why most people don't even approach some of their challenges in life because they're so fearful that the things that they do will suffer failures that they don't even begin to approach them. And I think that's what I have to do all the time, even with parents, to be honest, even with the parents, I'm having to get them to, to I'm having to explain to them how things like fears and nervousness and, and anxiety can be something that makes enables you to heal all of those issues. Um, and I think the last part of that quote where it says, um, when we unconsciously give, it's sorry, just reading back on it. If we just give, some of us, it's in everyone, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same, and we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically automatically liberates others. So that so when I heard that quote, I realised that because I had overcome my own fears, actually what I was doing was um, helping other people to show that they could also overcome theirs. I think that's really important because when you, for example, if someone was to say to you and a friend of mine was trying to become a weight loss coach and she was very overweight and then she ended up losing a lot of weight she said to me i'll say she said i don't think i could be uh, 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 a weight loss coach because you know i was really big who's going to listen to me and i said to her i don't think you understand that's exactly why your words are much more powerful than someone like myself who's never really had many issues maintaining their weight someone who has overcome those issues becomes a much more powerful tool in over helping others to overcome them so I guess like um, the fears that I've had in my own life, I can talk about them with others and it makes my words more um, more powerful and that, that quote really sort of like um, shaped, shaped my life really. That When I first saw, saw Coach Carter, that really changed my perception of lots of stuff just from that quote. It's a beautiful
0: quote and I've heard it on a number of occasions in different contexts. Uh, yeah. what what stay with me when, when whenever I hear the quote is about you, you mentioned about being in control, about our divine nature, but mostly is to allow ourselves to take responsibility for our own lives and not to feel the fear or, or, or being this stagnant person where most of the time you, you become a victim of somebody or something. Um so taking responsibility for for ourselves, I think it's it's a tremendous kind of act of, of taking the control back and, and and shining through and becoming the role model for others.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I think, I think what most people do is what we're born to do, which is to avoid discomfort. I think we unconsciously are, as soon as we're born, we're kind of like, we have to learn this skill. And lots of people, because they don't really test themselves from childhood, And even into adulthood you can change these things about yourself but people just avoid that discomfort and as a result they become fearful of everything they become fit something like failure is so normal to me whereas some that to an average person would become it's so terrifying and so debilitating that they won't even think to approach doing something like that Uh, or something like anything that, that, that 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 made them feel fearful and i think that's why um i think that's why fear and dismantling fear is really really important and it's a skill and it's a skill that takes practice and i think that's what my my i had had some counseling not sure if i mentioned it earlier in the podcast actually but i had some counseling about four or five years ago after my friend died and um the 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 counselor i spent one session a week with her for about maybe four or five months and she completely changed my life because she she com she basically showed me how the way that you think is a practice and it's not actually something that you're born with. And I realise that there are it's not as simple as that. There are some people who are born certain ways, but actually the majority of us have the ability to tap into the way that we think and then through practice of thinking a certain way, you can rewire your responses to certain things and until eventually that becomes like a reflex. Like responses to fear, for example, that's an unconscious reflex um even like something small like being scared of a spider it's just a reflex that you've probably picked up from watching someone else that was that you grew up with who was scared of spiders but if you're grown up in a household where somebody was handling spiders regularly you would almost certainly be that person too i think i think that's why things like um dismantling fear of of, of anything is is a practice it's, it's an art form it's not it's not something that you just know how to do, or or can't do.
0: Yeah, the, that reptilian brain that you you're talking about, and now the basic responses to fear when uh, when we are created as, as human beings is like you either freeze, you fight, or you flight. So, but other than that, the reptilian brain, we we were blessed with other sides of the brain that. Are allowing us to dismantle fear and to understand it and overcome it or face it. Um, so yeah, I think our brains are a wonderful, it's a wonderful machinery that if we tap into its powers, we can become uh, extraordinary. I truly, believe yeah, that. I agree.
1: It's like the I say that I, I speak regularly about things like that when I'm teaching about how people don't really even... I know know there's that saying that says people only tap into 10% of their potential. I actually don't think that that's untrue. I, I think that, and the reason I think that is because when I was going through my teenage years and even into my 20s, I just was languishing in mediocrity. I was just this average person who wasn't accomplishing anything but had so much to give, like we all do, But I wasn't recognizing those things as because I just thought in a certain way. And my my counselor helped me to think completely differently and spend a lot, a lot, I spent a lot, many of the last sort of 10 years or so, really trying to sort of, um, maybe not the last 10 years, maybe the last five years, really trying to focus on refining the way that I think. And that's definitely made me a happier person, a more successful coach, a better husband. I expect it's made me a much better dad as well, but I don't really have. My daughter's only three months old, so I don't really have anything to measure that against. But yeah, certainly I think that the, the more we get control of our brain, and the more we practice teach showing our, more we practice exercises with the way that we think, we can get control of those 100 billion neurons that fire in our brain when we do things and reach more of that potential rather than just that 10%.
0: What
1: has fear taught you, Saj? Um, I think I think fear has taught me that fear is something, and this is going to sound quite strange, but something that I really enjoy. It it's it's like if I, I guess the best example I could give is, and this is something that I have discussed with many of my competitors we have about 30, 40 competitors. We've got world and European champions training at the club and the squad is one of the best squads in the country. And there's obviously there has to be some very, very high level competitors in there, which there are. And I was speaking to the, them, the, the students, and because I, I could see the competitors in particular, their heads were dropping. And they suddenly realized the importance of competing to their lives, to their mental health, because lots of them were kind of saying to me that, they really miss not having something to work towards, but I think it's more than that. I don't think it's just having something to work towards. I think it's actually experiencing fear. Um, And, and you know, going to competitions is a ter- terribly nerve-wracking and traumatic experience, but people have, and myself included, have really, really missed it. And that's, I think, during the lockdown, that's taught me very, very clearly that fear is something that human beings, I think particularly human beings like me, but I think most of us, we need certain amounts of it. We need certain doses of fear on a regular basis. It's that saying that says that you should do something that scares you every day. I really do believe that. I think that it's just something to make you feel alive. Um, it's like when people say to me, like, um, why do you have, uh, why you know, why do you like punching and kicking things and stuff like that? I think it's because there's a certain amount of adrenaline that you release when you're punching and kicking things that's really good for your mental health hitting a punch bag, punching pads and stuff like that. They can be really, really therapeutic. And actually, a lot of people who have anger management issues, temper issues, uh, self-control issues, a lot of the anger management therapy involved is about hitting punch bags and striking pads, releasing that um, in a regression. Um, But yeah, for sure, like I think the lockdown has taught me that I need need certain amounts of fear. And I think the more I, I have thought about this and I thought, why is that the case? And I think it's because, when you're leading a life of accomplishment, you regularly get doses of fear on a regular basis, be it jumping on a plane and going to the world championships in Brazil or the European championships in Italy or whatever it is. It's that excitement, that fear, that adrenaline, the testosterone, all of the hormones that are being released, that when, when fear is um, in the air. Um, and I think when, when you remove those things, it's very clear that those things are needed. I don't think I realised that before the lockdown, actually, because we had the World Championships and the European Championships. World Championships were we going to be in Brazil, and the Europeans were in Italy, and they were uh, Poland. Oh no, sorry, the World Championships were in Poland, and the um, the Europeans were supposed to be in Italy this year, and both were cancelled. And that's when I started to feel like, like the life for me was just like slowly draining away, um, and I think when I, when I'm leading a life of accomplishment, I'm doing those things regularly. I'm on those centre mats um, in the rings, if you if you call them the ring, I guess. It's, I mean, karate, you call them tatami. When we're on the tatami, all the spotlights are on you and things like that. That just, it lights up your soul, makes you feel like you're living a life worth living, if that makes sense. It's quite difficult to explain, but it's to me, it's like to feel human. Fear is, fear to me is to feel human. It's a, it's a natural human response but most people try and avoid it at all costs. And I think that's probably why they struggle because they're not really leading a life of difficulty or challenge. They're not challenging themselves enough if they're not fearing, hit, feeling fear on a on a regular basis.
0: It's beautiful and lovely to hear that you, you're seeing fear and are you enjoying fear or experiencing fear. I'm yeah. wondering what advice would you have for those people who see fear as, a vicious circle, that it's a never ending story, that they live from a fear type of fear to another. Um, they become addicted at times to feeling fearful. Would you have any advice for them?
1: Um I would say that they need to they need to take up activities, systematically take up activities purposefully that um, challenge that those fears. So I used to be um I used to be really really scared of of fighting um when I was younger and then I think the less I approached fighting the more fearful I became because I actually became less proficient at it. So my main fear of fighting was that I didn't think I was very good at it. I was in I felt like I was um inadequate at it. And then I think that's lot I think lots of fear is revolves around inadequacy and security. I think most people who you mentioned who struggle with fear, um, they're very, very insecure people. But I don't think that that is necessarily something that is set in stone because I have a lot of students who come to me with real issues with with securities and fears. And actually, over many, many years of reprogramming and helping them in a positive way and helping them to see and think in different ways, eventually their fears, they just bound over them with ease. I've got... got, um, a lad who trains with me who's now a European champion and a world silver medalist. And he he didn't even want to fight most of the time. And he's probably one of the best fighters I've ever seen in my life. And he used to just say to me all the time, he used to sit with his dad and then cry and then refuse to fight. And he was just so fearful that he would lose. I knew that's what he was doing. He didn't know that at the time. He was only sort of eight or nine years old. He continued with this behavior as I was working with him and it started to ease, but he continued with that up until probably he was like maybe 12 or 13. He's 15 now, um, and he has completely changed his mindset and he's competing at the highest level, as I mentioned, but he's also coaching at the club to a very, very high level at the age of 15. So, I mean, he's, he's accomplishing amazing things now. So I guess I would say for people who are really struggling with fear, you've got to take those things head on You've got to sort of, even if it's just writing something down that you f- you're you fearful of, and then just approaching it one day a week, and then increasing it to two days a week, just slowly over the years, increase when you feel like you're ready to. I think that's important that, you, that it's a time when you're, then you're, that you're ready to do it. Um, like when I went for my counseling, um, I was extremely scared of, fearful of what that would bring to my life, but it was the more that I did the counseling that I realized that it was going to help me with my fears. Um, and I think that's that. That's a really, really key thing. If you're really, if you're, if you're that insecure and you're struggling with things, perhaps going and seeking help from a professional would be a route that would um, help me to explore in ways that you would never normally explore. Because as much as I said about talking to my wife and uh, when I needed sort of to, sp- to speak to her about how I was suffering and things like that during the lockdown with with depression. Um, I think there's something extremely beautiful when you talk to somebody who doesn't know you, and can't judge you, for as in as a reason. For that reason, um, that's why I think counselling and things like that are really, really important therapy. With the right therapist, like you could go to the wrong therapist and get the complete wrong idea of um, of what therapy is. But I think take your time, just like looking for a new house see five or six different therapists and then select the one that you think will best suit you and then ask them how they could help you to to, to overcome your fears
0: thank you very much for that no problem. you talked about uh, the youngster Saj, the young the young person that struggled um yeah. looking back and if you want to have him in front of you in, 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 there in in the living room with you what would you say to him when he when he comes to fear what advice would you give him um
1: to, if i'm completely honest i'm the sort of person that i'm quite spiritual naturally i think i think um i think i wouldn't change hardly anything in my life to be honest because i know that i kind of like i I believe in the butterfly effect like the smallest of things impact um the biggest of things and i think that if my life had been different in any way i probably would not be sitting where i am right now um doing the job that i love waking up every morning um excited to do what i do and going to bed every night excited to wake up um I, i i think but i think there obviously will be some things that we look at and think i would like to change that and i think if there's in answer to your question directly, I would give the advice to my younger self not to um, not to use the success of other, the perceived success of another person, and then try and duplicate it. I think that's what a lot of people do nowadays, and I think that's the source of a lot of mental health problems. A lot of people will look at another person who's got a lot of money or a nice car or a, a nice wife or a nice husband. And then they'll think, oh, you know, that's what I want to be like. And then they'll try and look at what that person's doing. And especially with things like social media, there's other toxicity around things like the Kardashians and stuff like that, which so many people watch. I think that a lot of people look at that and they think that that's what success is. But what I would, and I did the same thing for sure. It's also why I went to, for example, why I went to university. I went to university because I looked at all my friends and they were all going to university. But what I actually realised when I was sort of 18, 19 is I actually had more skills than what they did and more opportunities in other ways than what they did. Lots of them would not have had um, my coaching and leadership skills and my sporting background at age 18 because most of them, they played sport for a bit of fun um, and then they studied hard with their education. Whereas for me, I was training like five days a week and then um trying to fit my school around that. And I think actually, you know whilst I learned things in university, I think I probably could have started the clubs a lot earlier. I think that um, I think that I would have eventually become a coach regardless of what happened in my life. So yeah, I mean I I probably would be sitting where I am right now with my with my business and everything four or five years earlier than I am now. But and I mean that's that's very difficult to predict. But yeah, I would certainly g- give that advice to anybody, not to look at other people's success and then try and duplicate it, not to look at what other people are doing and think that that's what you have to do. Like by traditional standards, I married reasonably late. Um, I was 36, 35, 36 when I got married. My daughter was born this year and I'm 38. Most people were saying, no, 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 you've got to have children this age. You've got to have your jobs and career sorted out by this age. Um, there's also a lot more pressure on, I think, especially women, Um, to have their job and their career and everything sorted out um, because they've got to have children by this age and that age. I just think the world would be a lot happier place if careers, advisors and teachers didn't teach you that you had to go to university, you had to have children by this age, you had to be married by this age. I think do everything as your life, as would suit your own life and make choices that would suit your own personal experiences. I think had I had someone given me that advice, I possibly, possibly wouldn't have gone into higher education um, for four years, but yeah, I think that's probably the only thing that I would say to myself, so- my younger self. That's
0: beautiful, that reminds me of um, John Lennon, that a teacher at school asked him uh, what do you want to become when you'll be older, and he said happy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would be lovely for us to be to have been taught about what happiness, what happiness really is, um, outside the monetary advantages and the societal kind of expectations.
1: Yeah, you're you're right, Ramona. Because if if you think about what success is now, it's money. Mm. That's what people perceive success to be. Whereas I don't I don't devalue the importance of having money because we didn't have anything and we had less than we needed. Um, by quite a long way when we were, when we were growing up and that was that was a source of much stress and and, and I definitely wouldn't wish that upon anybody what my mum had to go through. but at the same time um, we had so much love and, and kindness from my mum and affection and uh, validation and um, communication and connection that I guess we were richer than most people um, who had money in, in, in another way. Um, but yeah for sure perceived success is all to do with financial like I, I would advise anyone that's looking at money as the most important thing to make sure that you have enough to survive and maybe save and have a holiday every now and again but you don't need to be a millionaire to be happy you, you definitely don't
0: yeah. a shout out to your mom
1: <laughs> <laughs> she was amazing, amazing woman amazing mm.
0: Saj, so now you are 18, 90 years old. Is the other Saj sitting next to you, Um, the 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 person who has had uh, the experiences, going and looking back at you now, the 38 years old? Uh, What do you think, Saj, at 18, 90 would tell you now, based on his experiences? What advice? Did you say 18?
1: You're 18 or 19.
0: 80, 90, so you are in your elderly, yeah, you're the elderly, a wiser, that that wise man that you're looking for or, or aspiring to become. Um, what do you think that person would tell you? What advice would he give you?
1: That's a really difficult question. I have absolutely no idea where I'll be when I'm 80 or 90 years old. I hope I, I, hope I have the privilege of living that long. I guess I'm incredibly happy with um the life that i have at the moment so i, I think he probably just told me to keep doing what i'm doing there's there's not much i can do with the lockdown and stuff like that but i think i've i would like to think that my wife would say she's very happy and that my daughter i hope i can make her happy and um i hope that i can keep building my relationship and my connection with my sisters and my mom um, and everyone else that means a lot to me i think I think for sure when I'm 80 or 90 years old, I hope that I've got lots of stories to tell. I said that I say that to my students a lot of the time who are struggling a bit for motivation. Um, there are a lot of them sort of like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling like doing this. And, and I, I, just, I just say to them, well, what would your 80, 90 year old be able to tell their grandchildren? What stories would they be able to, to tell their grandchildren? And I said, I know when I'm 80 or 90, that I would have some stories to tell. About compete, coaching international tournaments, and um, all of my experiences competing, all of my experiences coaching, um, all of the things that I fill my life with. Yeah, I'd hope I hope that my my eight year old self would just be able to tell lots of stories about my life. That's what I like. I, w- I want to live. I think that's the thing that I've always wanted to do, is to live a life that I feel made a difference to 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 people. I think that's where I I get that from my mum um she likes to help people too and i think that's something that's just sort of like in our blood where we like to to, i take great pride in being able to feel like i've helped other human beings so i hope that 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 my 89 year old self just tells me to keep doing that
0: this world needs more people like you (laughs) less successful (laughs) people and more like fulfilled people would you have it in any other way, Sash? when it comes um,
1: to dealing with fear? When it comes to dealing with the ways that I've dealt with fear, do you mean? Yes. Yes.
0: Uh,
1: no, I don't think. I don't think I would. I. I think that if. If I wasn't happy right now in some way, I think I would probably have to look back and think like, how did I get to this point? I must have handled some things. That I wasn't in the ways I wasn't happy with but no I don't think I would. I think I, I, think that the the difficulties that I've had and the times I've made mistakes and um, the chapters in my life where it hasn't quite gone my way and there'll be many more of those to come um, I think those are just part of me becoming wiser, more experienced and more learned in, um, in all areas so no I, I don't think I would change anything to be honest I wouldn't in terms of the way that I did dealt with fear I've always taken fear head-on and I've always I think that's always been something that I've had since I was young I've always fought for everything um I'm a great advocate of fighting for equal rights and even if, not, not just things that impact me like race but also gender equality I want my daughter and my wife to live in a world where they are equal which I know that's not the case at the moment Um, And I want that to change for the, I know it's changing and it's improving, but I want it to change even further. Um, Yeah.
0: You have said loads of wise words, even though you feel that you, you still have to learn about what being wise is. But if you were to formulate a mantra to help someone going through similar experiences like you, what would that mantra be?
1: That's a really difficult question. I, th- I think, well, I mean, I do a lot of reading and philosophy. I'm really interested in philosophy. And um, Bruce Lee is my greatest hero. He always has been and always will be. Um, I think because I came from a single parent home and um, whilst I still talk to my father, we barely, we're, we're, we don't really have much of a relationship. Um, he, he won't mind me saying that he knows that's the truth. But even though he was absent during my childhood, I had people like Bruce Lee there to, um, his words of wisdom resonated with me hugely and impacted me. And I had posters of him all over my wall and I watched all his films and I still quote him in my lessons when I'm teaching. And I've got a quote actually for the end of the quote of Bruce, my favourite Bruce Lee quote, um, which I'll read to you so it won't take too long. It's not as long as the the other quote. Um, but yeah, like I, from reading his philosophies, I've read a lot of his notes and stuff like that before, because he died in 1973, 10 more than um, just less than 10 years um, before I was born. But he was he still impacts the world now in 2020. And I, I want to try and do that too if I can. Um, maybe obviously not on that scale, but it's maybe on a local scale. And so I've been writing my own philosophies and things, so I think. When, I, when I've written my own philosophies, it's largely to do being get, getting knocked down and then getting back up again. So I think that's, that's what fear, that's how I would approach my things I am fearful of. And I would say to anyone to stand up, to fight, then to fall down and then to repeat that again. Stand up, to fight and then to fall down and then repeat that again. And I think you have to do that continually until there comes a time that when you fall and hit the ground that it's not quite so hard and I think that's what life is if you're going to try and live a life where you're not falling down that's impossible if you're going to try and live a life where you don't have to fight um, that's also impossible and if you're going to have if you're going to try and live a life where you don't stand up and pick yourself up I think that's also an impossibility so I think you need to be able to get comfortable with all three of those things until there comes a point that when you fall it's not quite as hard as it used to be.
0: I I remember when I was a little child, I was my my mom's first daughter, and she was so overprotective, to the point that I experienced as if I shouldn't go through struggles, I shouldn't be put in a situation where I feel uncomfortable, and the life was like awkward until I've decided no, let's see how how to be fearful looks like, how to fail looks like, and then I it it felt that. uh, Oh, I'm leaving now. You know, some something in me changed because I was I was then only growing. Um, so it, it's lovely what what you, you said now. Just don't be fearful, fall and uh, and see what's for you on the other side. <laughs> Just repeat that on and on until uh, yeah, it's less, it's less painful.
1: I think that's what you're doing in life all the time. You're conditioning yourself to suffering. So it's that it's that old Bruce Lee quote about. Um, Don't pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. And I think that's what I have. I know that I have a lot of strength. And and as much as I speak about a lot of the things I'm speaking about, I know that lots of people just maybe biologically, genetically don't have those things. And that's, so I, I take into account those things too, you know. Like there's a lot of people that if they went through the racial abuse and things like that, that I experienced when I was seven or eight years old for four or five years at primary school, there's no way they would have recovered from those things. But those things made me stronger. They made me who I am today. Um, and just like one person can recover from a huge amount of abuse and another person can't recover from just a small amount of abuse. I think genetically, I'm very, very fortunate. I have a lot of resilience and toughness. And I watched my mum going through enormous amounts of difficulties and struggle when we were growing up. But I just saw her, yes, I did see her um, You know, at her worst i saw her, her when she was down but i also saw her just pick herself up the next day and go again and i think that's not something that everyone can do that's that's definitely not something that everyone can do um and i think like when i i have so much experience with parents now i've been running my i've been coaching since i was maybe 16 15 16 and i've been running my own club since i was like 23 24. i ran my own clubs in um sri lanka in 2006 i went to a village, and helped after the um, the 2004 Asian tsunami, and that's when I had my first experience leading with uh, being the chief instructor with no one else above me. Like, um, and 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 that's when I began to realise I had some some skills that could help people. But I think like when I dealt with parents, when I've dealt with parents, it's not always the most positive thing. And like you said about your your mum was perhaps over-parenting, over, over, over parenting, shall we say. I th- I have that all the time. It's like, it's, you have no idea. When you've got a club of 200-odd students, it's like a daily, maybe not daily, but weekly occurrence. You're dealing with some parent who's been offended by something, or a parent who's not happy that their child hasn't got what this person's got. And I like to think that I'm incredibly fair. And if someone hasn't got something yet, then there's probably a reason. And if someone has achieved something, then again, there's probably a reason why that person has. Um, And I have to try and not just help uh, students overcome their fears, I have to help parents to overcome their fears. I mean, if you see how parents react to competitions, the amount of fear and uh, and, and stress that they go through, it's something that I probably won't understand because I probably won't, I won't be maybe that kind of parent, I don't think, but that's very difficult to to know for sure until I'm in that position. But I'd like to think I'd I'd be the sort of parent that make that is that gets my child to, to to take on difficulties and things like that rather than to avoid them. And to to also to have commun- communication and conversation with with coaches when and teachers when they're not getting what they want, to find out what they need to do um, in order to to get the things that they need. But yeah, I, I, the, the the whole over parenting thing is very familiar to me.
0: hopefully this generation young generation will be better prepared and more resilient to deal with whatever is is out there for them um because they have it tough but hopefully many hopefully they will have the support around around them and if you are touching the hearts of 200 odd people plus their parents i think this this is a great thing to do um yeah um yeah well done to you
1: thank you very much
0: What's on the other side of fear, Sarf? What do you think it's out there? And is there another side <laughs> on the other side?
1: How, how do you, how do you mean exactly? I'm just a little confused by that question. Do you, do you mean, um, if you overcome fear, what, what comes next? Yes. So I, I would say that, I, I would say that gro- it's, it's, I mean, it's quite, I don't think it's a difficult question to answer. I think gro- growth, and and we, there is a when I first started coaching, there was a thing that went through um, went through a lot of British schools. And I, when I was working in after school clubs, I saw this. And even now, I get parents coming up to me, even with the children are just like three or four years old. Why has my child not got a sticker or something like that? And I always explain to them that we don't give stickers to everybody. That's not how it works. We don't reward every single student because that would evoke a philosophy of gaining things without having to put work in. So um what what I find is having to try and explain to people that that when you don't get things that's when you work harder. That's normally when you see a better side of yourself. So I think that winning and i would like to consider myself a winner. I think our club well our clubs, the martial arts clubs that I run are multiple Southern England champions, regional champions, we've got national champions, things like that. So I'd like to think of myself as a winner and i think that i've i've managed to accomplish that by um tackling fear and i think i think that i think what you're doing is really really important because fear is something that's probably not really discussed much because actually and i know this when i speak to people people don't like to talk about um their fears they don't like to talk about the things that have traumatized them like whilst i talk very openly about the, the things that i've suffered in my life because i because i realize that being vulnerable will help others also to do the same thing and realize how important it is um most people just completely avoid it altogether. particularly like i was speaking earlier particularly men it's like conditioned in you um when i even when i talk to my friends about how i was struggling during lockdown most of them just brushed it aside because they were just too embarrassed to talk about talk about it because I, th- I guess they felt like maybe they'd have to talk about their own fears and their own depression and stuff like that i've got one or two friends that that do talk about one or two male friends that do talk about things but they'll do it secretively they'll do it like on a one-to-one level but when i go and talk to my female friends a lot of my female friends will hold space for each other they'll just sit and listen and i realized that this female quality is extremely beautiful and important. And it's something that we need to teach the next generation of boys. And it's something that I'm trying to do too. Stop saying things like man up and um, you're, the, you're the man of the house and um, you're, you know, think positively, you're suffering. I think um, I think what's on the other side of fear is, is, is opening up your vulnerabilities and opening up your traumas and you're exposing yourself to healing I think that's that's what it is it's not just becoming a winner there's so many things on the other side of fear but but personal growth is at the top of that and I think yeah um figuring out a way to win in life which for me winning in life is being happy and um I describe this to my friends all the time when they ask me what they what sort of friend if a friend asked me what I think um happiness is or winning is and for me winning is and I mentioned this briefly in one of your other questions um winning is um going to bed excited for the next morning every day and then and then waking up every morning excited for what's happening in your day as well so like being excited I I get that feeling I would say nine times out of ten when I go to bed at night I'm, I'm excited for what I've got to do the next day it's been obviously completely different um with the lockdown 2020 but normally that is the case. And then for sure when I when I when I have each each day that I'm I'm sort of going through my list of things that I have to do, I realise that I'm in this position because I've overcome most of my fears and I've grown so much as as an individual that I'm beginning to win now. That's 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 what I think. wonderful.
0: I I'm um... I was thinking about your daughter as you were talking, and I, I hope that he, she will have a wonderful male role model to, to look up for and to um and, and become a role model herself.
1: Uh, I hope so, I yeah. hope so. I, did, I, I, I didn't have that luxury, I, and I really hope that. I know my, my wife is a wonderful mother. I hope that you're right. I hope I can
0: do the same thing. Mm-hmm. We are reaching the end of our interview and I'm just wondering any other words of wisdom that you might want to share with our listeners?
1: Um, yeah, I wanted to end on on my favourite Bruce Lee quote because I think um, if I didn't end on a Bruce Lee quote, then it wouldn't really represent who I am as a person, um, which I guess is what you're looking for. You're looking for people to give their own sort of unique touch on on the questions that you're asking. Yes. Um, but I would, I would say that the next twelve months or so are, are really unknown to everybody. Even though we, we've gone sort of through the first eight or nine months, there's still a lot of unknown to happen, and it's a lot of trauma on a daily basis. You know, like staying indoors is constantly is traumatic. Seeing the people that, you, not seeing the people that you love is traumatic. Uh, when it's constant microaggressions that we're dealing with, and many of them over a long period of time, everybody's mental health is really suffering at the moment. I'm seeing a lot of people not behave, um acting like themselves, and even walking to the shops. And I found, that, you know, the, the anxiety of being in a busy shop. You know, when there's too many people in a shop, or um, going, children having to go to school, is it, they may not be realising it. But there's a micro, there's my, many microaggressions when you're walking past people at school, sitting in packed classrooms, um, and I think that if you look at, I think that these times are completely unprecedented perhaps apart from the Spanish flu which was 100 years ago now but most people were not alive during that time or, or or have memory of that time um even during the second world war people would have been able to hug um kiss and cuddle and sit on the sit on the chairs together and watch a, uh, a, a go to the cinema or they would have um, been able to go to dance classes or they would have been listening to music together and things like that listening to the radio together um I think that's why this situation is so so tricky. And I think the only way to survive this is to make sure that you understand that human beings are essentially pack animals, and we need social interaction on a regular basis. I and mean, when we need human touch, human contact, we need human kindness, we need positivity. So um, just make sure that I would I would I would sort of advise everyone to make sure that you're speaking to your friends regularly your family regularly make sure that you're on video phone calls if possible um on whatsapp or skype or whatever format is that you're using um and just find ways to reach out to people even if it's just a normal phone call or a text message or a whatsapp message you just never know how a small gesture can make such a big difference and just to make sure you check up on those that need your love and stay in touch with those who give you love too so that you can, you you can sort of get through the next next period of time that we've got to go through. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty much, I think the best way I could end end the interview. But I think, like to find happiness during the time that's happening at the moment, I think you need to be able to adapt, and I think being able to tackle fear, you need to be adaptable. And so by the quote I'm going to read you now is basically the context of it is about adaptability so that you can mold yourself into different, uh, slightly different versions of yourself where you need to tackle obstacles. So I think most people, um, they fear change. They become anxious when change happens. They don't, I don't think they practice resourcefulness, creativity, adaptability on a regular basis. So they get stuck in their old ways and then they become stale um, in their routines. And then when something like what's happened now, that's why the overwhelming majority of people just don't know how to cope because they, they're, they're so used to routines and, and their routines have all been um, changed. Um, so basically, I'll, I'll just read the quote out to you and I, uh, that'll bring us to the end if that's what um, that's what's going to happen. But um, so the quote starts off with, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. If you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. If you put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. If you put water into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. So that's one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite and most influential people in my life. And, and I think that's how you have to handle fear. You must adapt, be like water.
0: Let's be
1: like water. Namaste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree completely. Water is, water is a wonderfully um, um, metaphorical, you can it can mean so many things. Yeah, uh, And I love the way he's used um, different sort of like container shapes to make it fun and, and personable and something that everybody can understand. Yeah, he's a really beautiful man with a wonderful soul and an amazing way of looking
0: at life it has been a wonderful experience talking to you today and I hope that whoever is going to listen to us will, will find this podcast um, as, as, as insightful and, and deep and authentic and, and loving as I have found it so once again I, I truly thank you for agreeing to taking this initiative um, and I hope that you um, don't know maybe we'll speak in six months time and we'll have a a a totally kind of different scenario going on where things go back to normal and and people learn how to be happy
1: yeah i I, i've really enjoyed it thank you very much for the opportunity um, I mean, I've never done anything like, I've done something similar for my clubs. I've, I do like weekly weekly pep talks during the, during the lockdown period, but I've never done anything like this on an open forum to other people. So thank you very much for the opportunity. And I just hope that something that I've said, even something small has helped somebody out there.
0: You take care and thank you once again.
1: You're welcome, no problem. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay.